G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. It was just last week we were hearing of the new World Watch List that was released by the uh, Open Doors organisation. And, of course, uh, what came out in that was that every day one in nine Christians in the world faces high levels of religious persecution. And it's the price that millions are paying for following Jesus. The conservative estimate is that more than 245 million believers in more than 60 countries are suffering under high levels of persecution. And it takes many forms. Christians risk isolation, ridicule, imprisonment, loss of their homes, torture, rape and even death for their faith in Jesus Christ. And tragically, which is where our focus will go today, women tend to suffer more under an environment of Christian persecution. We'll get a focus on women today and the significant issues that they're facing around the world as persecution intensifies. To welcome back a special guest today to 2020, Babette Francis is co-founder of Endeavour Forum. She's a senior fellow in social policy at Macroeconomics. She's also a vice president of the Family Council of Victoria and vice president of the Drug Advisory Council in Australia. Babette Francis, a special welcome back to 2020. Thank you for having me on your program, Neil. Babbitt, before we get into any controversial issues in our conversation, I must just draw attention to the fact that there's a significant milestone celebration happening in Melbourne this weekend. Uh, You're celebrating a 40th anniversary for the founding of Endeavour Forum. What's going to be happening on the weekend? Well, we're having a a public meeting and we've got speakers, uh, Bishop uh, Peter Elliott of Melbourne and uh, Kevin Andrews, a federal MP, and Damien Wilde of the Australian Family Coalition from South uh, uh, South Australia. So uh, we've got a lineup of speakers, and uh, we've invited all our members and uh, the general public to come and celebrate with us. But the celebration is a sort of um, well, it's a mixed occasion. There's also some sadness because when you've been going for 40 years, you uh, lose a, a lot of supporters and members through death or disability. So we mourn our lost supporters as well. And you also honour people who are standing up for the sorts of values that Endeavour Forum represents. Uh, you'll be presenting a special award, the Phyllis Schlafly Eagle Forum Awards. Uh, how does that all work, Babette? Uh, well, our organisation, the, the founding of our organisation was inspired by uh, Phyllis Schlafly, the great pro-family leader in the United States. Her organisation was called Eagle Forum. And she fought against the um, Equal Rights Amendment to the U.S. Constitution because that would have enshrined abortion as a federal right. 
in the, con- in the American Constitution, and it also would have involved uh, women being subject to the draft for combat, you know, in wartime in the United States. So she was our inspiration because it showed that all the glib assertions by the feminists for, uh, in brackets and quotes, equal rights can have unintended consequences. And um, she was the inspiration for us establishing Endeavour Forum in Australia. And the sorts of values that Phyllis Schlafly represented uh, are the sorts of values that have helped to shape the way that you talk about women's issues. Because when we talk about feminism today, uh, your style of feminism, it looks very different to the more left-wing style of feminism that we're used to hearing about. I wonder whether you can reflect for a few moments for us, Babette, on, on what's different about the way you think about women's issues to the sorts of ways that are promoted in lots of mainstream media. Well, we go back to the true feminism of the early 20th century where uh, women um, in uh, Britain and the United States fought for the right to vote and uh, equal political rights. They also uh, fought for uh, maintenance for themselves and their children when they were discarded by the husband and the father or abandoned by them. Uh, that was true feminism, you know, f- fighting for equal rights for women and their children. And uh, women should never be uncoupled from their children because very often when you uh, women are discriminated against either in uh, divorce proceedings or in any other way, their children are also disadvantaged and, or discriminated against. And that's the type of feminism we support. But the uh, 1960s feminism came to mean something, mean something completely different, lobbying for something completely different. Instead of supporting women and their children, they supported the right for women to abort their unborn babies, which, was, which would have been totally unacceptable to the early feminists of the 20th century. And we support the true brand of feminism, which does not uncouple women from their children born or unborn. Let's come back to what we started with in the introduction, the idea that Christian persecution is intensifying around the world. And uh, no doubt you've seen some of the latest figures too, uh, just how serious things are. Uh, What I wanted to pursue with you a little today was this idea that when there is an intensifying persecution of Christian believers, women are in fact in a double persecution because women have suffered uh, in some sense uh, persecution just for being women uh, in so many nations around the world and when there's persecution against Christians it's like double whammy it's double uh, dealing of persecution and women do tend uh, to have it harder than men Uh, now that might be arguable but what are your thoughts for the way that women are in fact uh, you know getting worse off even when we hear of uh, persecution increasing well, we need to first of all single out the countries where this persecution is um, uh, is, a, 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 is being conducted and where where it is increasing. And I would single out three areas. First of all, the Muslim countries, Islamic countries, which single out um, uh, Christians and other minority uh, religions for persecution. Then there is China, which um, uh, persecutes Christians. 
and North Korea, where uh, Christians really face being sent to a concentration camp or being killed. And in these areas, women are always more vulnerable than men because they're not as uh, able to be as mobile, not as able to escape the persecution or move to a different region or hide because uh, very often women are uh, encumbered. That's not the word I like, but they are responsible for their children as well. And it's not as easy for them to be mobile to escape to another region or country or to hide. And uh, so it's these three regions I would especially single out for uh, which, which persecute children, all the Muslim countries, even the so-called moderate countries, uh, Christians are discriminated against. And then there's uh, China and uh, North Korea. You know, these are where uh, Christians and women in particular are very vulnerable. And the issues that go along with that persecution, and there's lots of them. Uh, you mention uh, things like, uh, if we were actually going to be listing a few different areas here, the idea of forced marriage, uh, those issues there, and even forced abortions, uh, those things are significant, aren't they, in so many nations? Well, the uh, compulsory abortion is particularly gross in China, you know, where they recently relaxed their policy a bit. So I think uh, women are allowed to have two children, but that the the law is very imperfectly observed. And in some regions, women after one uh, having one child are still subjected to compulsory abortion for a second pregnancy. Um, but uh, but the whole law is com- uh, completely iniquitous, and it, it applies. It, it impacts selectively on women because women are not as mobile; they're not as easy for them to escape or to hide. And um, I'm looking at um, some newsletters I regularly get. Uh, one is Voice of the Martyrs, you know, which the headline of, of the latest issue is Serving the Persecuted Church. And the other one is um, Aid to the Church in Need. That's a, a Catholic one. And that uh, talks about the gross uh, persecution, you know, uh, experienced by women and, and men as well, in um, mainly in, uh, in Islamic countries. And the world is generally uh, sort of, even the Christian churches in a country like Australia, seem to be unaware of them. Um, I'm a regular church goer. I attend um, Catholic Mass every Sunday, and I'm often at um, other Christian uh, services or meetings. And this issue was seldom mentioned, that how, how many of our Christian brethren and sisters in uh, countries uh, not as um, democratic as Australia, how, how much they are suffering and that we should be doing something about this. We, our government often talks about uh, 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 abuses, other, other abuses of human rights, but seldom about the actual persecution of Christians. And, uh, and it isn't even mentioned in our church services. And I think this is something which um, uh, Christian priests and pastors should very much uh, take on board. And the very minimum they could do is at every Sunday service ask uh, for, for recite a special prayer about the uh, Christians who are persecuted in other countries. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Talking about persecution intensifying around the world and with a special focus today on women and how they suffer more deeply under levels of persecution. 
Now, you might like to contribute to our conversation today. Our talkback line is open, 1-800-316-316. You might have your own thoughts too on women in Australia and are things getting tougher for women who will hold to their Christian faith? Uh, is it getting tougher to be a Christian and a woman in Australia? Well, 1-800-316-316. Also uh, on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Babette Francis is our our special guest this hour talking through some issues here and another one to add to the conversation Babette and that is that uh, in New York uh, so the United States uh, but they've had some special laws pass in New York uh, it's uh, the 46th anniversary apparently of the landmark US ruling that made abortion legal and New York st- as state has signed into law a new abortion rights bill. You've been following along the development of that and uh, from your perspective, how do things look? Yes, so the, when I read about the New York law, it seemed to me there was a, a, a new barbarism descended on the world. You know, I feel like one of those monks in the dark ages who was uh, sitting scribbling away on parchment in his monastery while the barbarians hordes ran over Europe and he, he was writing out the eternal truth that might be read by someone when in a new enlightened era. This New York law is completely barbaric because it uh, provides for abortion up to birth. Now, in the third trimester of, or even late second trimester of pregnancy, you don't have to kill the baby. The, the baby has to be delivered anyway. Um, uh, you know, it can't just be disposed of um, uh, like a, an early pregnancy. So why not deliver a live baby and give it up for ad- uh, adoption? What it involves is deliberately injecting the baby while it's still in utero, injecting it into, into its heart with some virulent poison and killing it, and then the baby is delivered. The, the woman's got to deliver the baby anyway, either by cesarean section or vaginally. So why not deliver a live baby? Why inject it with poison into its heart before the the, the delivery? Uh, it seems to me absolutely a barbaric. And I said, I feel like one of those monks, monks in the dark ages scribbling away on parchment in a monastery <laughs> trying to enunciate these truths, you know, that the the fetus in utero is a human being with rights and I hope someone in a new age of enlightenment will read this. <laughs> this all comes at a time when there are some states in the United States that are rolling back abortion provisions and uh, there's some excitement about uh, the fact that there might be some protections in a lot more states uh, for women and for babies in uh, who are unborn. Uh, this uh, There's certainly a, a culture war going on here, isn't there, so far as uh, the way that uh, laws are being passed here to uh, really, uh, you know, intensify the abortion issue. And then uh, there are other um, glowing movements that are happening in other states that look like they might turn things around. What are your thoughts for the contrast? You're quite right, Neil. It's a very mixed picture in the United States. Um, the pro-life um, uh, cause uh, uh, ideology is growing in strength. People are becoming more and more uh, opposed to uh, abortion after the first trimester. Um, there are quite a few successes in um, legislation in the states, um, individual states of the U.S. Uh, what the abortionists are afraid of is that uh, with the new 
possibly pro-life majority in the U.S. Supreme Court that uh, Roe versus Wade may be reversed. And that's why the pro-abortionists are busy trying to uh, enshrine abortion up to birth legislation in the state so that if Roe v. Wade is reversed, uh, the uh, abortion will st- up to the time of birth will still be uh, legal in the uh, in individual states, and this is where the New York law comes in. And uh, to celebrate it, uh, this is so uh, barbaric is the only word I can think of. Um, lit up all the um, spires in New York City with pink lights. You know, they should look them up with blood red for the blood red of the the babies and and of some of the women who are also killed in these. Uh, who also dies as a result of late-term abortions. You know, I, I, I wonder if people get and uh, really know what this late-term abortion law in, in New York involves. It involves the deliberate killing of a viable, healthy um, in, a baby in utero in the, in the third trimester when it's capable of being delivered. You can have an early delivery if the woman really doesn't want to be pregnant. You can have a premature delivery and uh, try to save the baby. But it involves this baby having a poison injected into its heart while it's still in utero, and then the woman has to deliver delivers a dead baby. This is absolutely unconscionable. You know, if she doesn't want the baby, why not have a, uh, an early delivery and, and give the baby up to the many uh, 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 potentially adoptive parents who are longing to have a, uh, a child, you know, maybe can't have a baby of their own and would love to adopt one. And uh, as I said, the New York uh, law just involves a, a descent into depravity and, and barbarism. And interesting, isn't it, that we're reflecting on things that are happening in the U.S. and those things that might be extreme or inhumane, uh, the way that they've uh, done this in New York and uh, passed this legislation. But this is not new for Australia at all. How do those laws compare with the laws that we have in uh, various states in Australia? I mean, our laws are far worse, aren't they? Um, we have a mixed picture over here. I think the recent Queensland law is probably on a par with the New York legislation. But uh, generally, I think, um, and certainly I think probably by the medical profession, uh, abortion up to in the third trimester is not generally supported in Australia. No, this is a stage where you have a viable uh, fetus. You know, it can be delivered and uh, as a premature baby and. Uh, help to survive. And I think this is uh, probably not, uh, uh, abortion up to the time of birth is probably not as acceptable in Australia as it is, as it has been by the New York legislature. I think the new Queensland law maybe is bad, but generally our laws are here a little bit better. And I hope our ideology is a bit better. Actually, the United States is a very mixed picture also, because while this New York legislation is um, uh, quite uh, depraved. Uh, there is a lot of uh, pro-life legislation and protective legislation for unborn babies and their mothers being passed in various states. And the pro-life um, ideology is growing in the state, so it's a very mixed picture there. Um, New York is, uh, I think, a, an unfortunate aberration. But in general, I would say the pro-life ideology uh, is is generally growing in the United States and with the uh, appointments that um, President Trump can make to the uh, U.S. Supreme Court, it's very possible that Roe v. Wade may be reversed. 
Your brand of feminism, uh, Babette, is growing in popularity. This must be what drives some levels of this uh, change in the US. Uh, But in Australia, your brand of feminism doesn't get a lot of airtime. It's not given a lot of oxygen. What are your feelings about uh, the fact that so many women are, uh, in some ways, uh, kept from understanding your point of view? Well, one part of our, our problem is being able to get into the media, and uh, I, I'm talking not just about the print media here, but also the electronic media and things like uh, Facebook and so on, who are generally hostile to uh, pro-life values. So we're battling against, um, uh, you know, trying to um, publicize the damage done to not just to the unborn. Uh, baby, the fetus, but also to women. For example, um, it's not generally known that an early pregnancy, say there's a, a teenager, I'm not recommending teenagers get pregnant, but if you do have a teenager who does get pregnant and uh, goes full term and breastfeeds a baby, that's a very good protection against her later developing breast cancer. You know, an early pregnancy, early full term pregnancy is the best protection against breast cancer. And breast cancer is a major killer of women of uh, premenopausal age, and I think the third major killer of women of postmenopausal age. I think heart disease is possibly ranks higher than breast cancer. But breast cancer is something that is a major cause of death and uh, suffering for women. And a full term pregnancy followed by breastfeeding is a great. Uh, defense against it. Why isn't this publicized? An early pregnancy is particularly protective against breast cancer because um, with um, a woman who doesn't have a pregnancy until she's, say, 35 or later, has a lot of undifferentiated uh, immature breast cells in her breasts which are very vulnerable to cancer. And these become mature breast cells uh, in a full-term pregnancy which are far more resistant to breast cancer. This, uh, uh, these medical facts simply do not get sufficient publicity. We try to air this in our newsletters and um, in our uh, um, uh, media releases and in our uh, email news, but it's very hard to uh, get it out wider into the mainstream media, which is generally not sympathetic to the uh, pro-life cause. Uh, yes, well, where you've got this left-wing brand of feminism uh, doesn't want any sort of uh, publicity for even the health effects that affect women uh, because it somehow or other looks like uh, it might be uh, white middle-aged men uh, trying to draw some attention to something and uh, having some control. I mean, that's a whole other issue in itself, isn't it? Well, I'm not a white feminist, so you can exclude me from that category. Uh, I'm uh, Indian both, and I'm uh, Indian brown Indians in skin color as well, so uh, I, I'm not a sort of, uh, what you call it, a, 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 a talking from a, a elitist white perspective. But, uh, you know, the basic facts of biology should be explained to women. They should understand this, that a, a teenage pregnancy, it may be a social problem, but it's not a biological problem. You know, women's bodies were designed to uh, give birth, you know, before the age of 20. Uh, it may not be ideal socially, especially if the woman is unmarried, but, uh, but that's, a, that's biologically healthy. You know, that's what our bodies were designed for. 
and uh, postponing pregnancy till uh, your first full-term pregnancy till after the age of 35, which uh, quite a number of career women do, is not healthy from a biological medical perspective because it leaves you very vulnerable to breast cancer, and breast cancer is one of the major killers of women in Australia. Uh, Babette, as we continue this part of our conversation, uh, there are lots of areas where women are more specifically targeted when when persecution of the church intensifies. Things like uh, forced marriage, rape, sexual violence, uh, things like um, shame and isolation and all forms of discrimination. Uh, women do, in fact, suffer more than men, and uh, we could talk about the way that men are persecuted as well, but we're talking about women today. Women are particularly uh, a little more vulnerable than men when it comes to per- Christian persecution. Yes, Neil, they're very much more vulnerable, especially in um, um, Islamic countries. Um, they're often denied education. They're married uh, very early. Child marriage is a very common phenomenon. You know, for example, in Iran, um, the, uh, the women's group tried to raise the marriage age from uh, for uh, women from uh, females from age nine to age ten. And this was rejected by the clerics because of the example of the Prophet Muhammad who married Aisha when she was six and consummated the uh, marriage when she was nine. Uh, This is just, you know, an atrocious example, but uh, this is very common in in Muslim countries. You know, women are, uh, girls are denied education. Uh, They really have no rights. But, uh, Neil, I also want to touch on something slightly different, which uh, is, again, an attack on the uh, Christian faith. And this is this phenomenon of of transgenderism, which is being promoted. Uh, And if you're not an adherent or a supporter of this, you're supposed to be some sort of uh, uh, a bigot. Uh, The idea of of transgenderism, that uh, there are, first of all, that there are a variety of genders or that one can switch from one gender to another, is is a direct contradiction of the Bible of Genesis, where it is clearly stated that God created them male and female, and uh, this, and the, the, transgenderism is a complete fraud from a, a biological or scientific perspective as well, as well as being completely unbiblical. Um, you cannot change your gender. You, uh, you know there are a very a small proportion of people who are born with um, uh, 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 abnormal chromosomes, they may, instead of just being XX or XY, they're XXY or XYY. But those are abnormalities. The overwhelming majority of people have carry XX chromosomes, or uh, that's for a female, or XY for a male. And promoting this transgenderism and promoting the idea that you can change your gender, which is being promoted now to little children, is um, not only unbiblical, but it is a, a biological and medical and scientific assault on the bodies and futures of these children. You cannot change your gender. All you succeed in doing by, by giving these um, uh, children or adolescents drugs or hormones or surgery is uh, rendering them infertile or causing all sorts of uh, other problems related to cancer or heart problems. And the Christian Church needs to um, 
uh, speak about this uh, far more, you know, maybe even in church or at, um, at, at, at meetings or seminars, because this myth of transgenderism is being promoted by what I'll call the collective left as if, it's, as if it is a real possibility, and it isn't. You cannot change your gender. And Babette, when we talk transgenderism and connecting that with Christian persecution, uh, there are a lot of people who can see uh, the connections here that when you do become outspoken with regard to gender, male and female, uh, created by God and uh, that in the image of God, uh, because transgenderism doesn't fit that mould, uh, then you have this trigger for the politicised left-wing agenda uh, which uh, which pushes a transgender uh, anti-Christianity. Uh, what are your thoughts for uh, even oh, the potential? Just a minute for... you speak out about tra- against transgenderism, the LGBTQ fraternity immediately label you a bigot, a hateful bigot, and uh, so on. You know you're targeted as being um, uh, uh, prejudiced against them. But the ones who, uh, those of us who oppose this myth of transgenderism are doing it not just from a, a, a biblical or Christian perspective, from, but from a scientific perspective. There are only two genders. Uh, all others are abnormalities, and you cannot change your gender. From the time of conception or fertilization, an embryo is either male or female, and that cannot be changed. So we're on sound scientific ground, and the, uh, the hateful labels uh, placed on our shoulders that we're bigots uh, uh, and that we um, hate people who are uh, different from us or have a different point of view is totally unfair. We're completely sound both on um, biblical grounds and on scientific grounds. There is no such thing as transgenderism. And, of course, uh, Christians who come in for criticisms, uh, of course, uh, this is what is and uh, is likely to uh, tie up the courts more and more because the idea of uh, lawfare, as people call it, uh, the idea of uh, of pushing an agenda, uh, using the courts to enforce your understanding of what you think is right, that is an area that, into the future, Christians are likely to be on the receiving end of. Well, I think the thing is we need to uh, fight back. I don't like to use the word fight because it implies violence, but I think we need to um, argue back on in terms of science, uh, not just basic morality, but science, that it is not possible to change your gender. And the, the, and to inflict this idea on, or to support this idea, uh, some parents who think they're wonderfully liberated and progressive, um, encourage their little boy or little girl who might like to play around at being of the opposite sex, uh, to, uh, you know, support them in the idea that they're transgendered and that they can achieve, uh, some idea of being, uh, of, of belonging to the, of actually being, uh, achieving a different sex by, uh, hormones or surgery uh, are completely misguided, and this is a, a really child abuse to, to give children this assumption that they can change their gender. You cannot change your gender. It's been fixed from the time uh, you were conceived, and all attempts to change your gender will just cause um, uh, medical damage, health damage to your body, may endure into you infertile, cause cancer or heart problems or um, similar health disabilities and this is something that should be ex- exposed by the 
by the medical profession. I don't know why a medical profession, the AMA, is, is silent on this topic. Maybe they're uh, too afraid of being labeled as bigots or something like that. But uh, <laughs> I'd like a, a sign writer in the sky saying, you know, it is not possible to change your gender. You're either male or female. <laughs> is it possible, Babette, that people are blinded by ideology here? Because, uh, as you say, when even your uh, AMA, the Australian Medical Association, isn't speaking out and declaring what the scientific position would be uh, because of fear of being, uh, in some ways, uh, you know, uh, fear of... Uh, offending the LGBT community. I mean, uh, being blinded by ideology, isn't this some form of the way that religious persecution happens in all of these other different elements around the world? Well, it is, but it's also scientific cowardice because the medical profession should know even more than ordinary lay people that it is not possible to change your gender and that attempts to do it um, uh, just cause harm to the individual. And what is worse than the medical profession being si- the AMA being silent on this is that some of them actually cooperate and collaborate with um, the hapless and misguided individuals who are trying to change their gender by, um, you know, amputating healthy breasts or uh, cutting off um, male genitalia or, you know, giving them hormones, cooperating in some way in giving them the individual the misguided impression that they can really change their gender. They can't. All they'll do is render themselves infertile and maybe cause a host of other problems related to heart disease or cancer. Uh, And the medical profession is being cowardly and being silent about this. And, of course, sometimes when we're talking in the discussion we're having today about how women are affected, perhaps in contrast to men, and these sorts of conversations uh, listeners will have heard before on this program, the idea that uh, women are the biggest losers when it comes to the uh, way that there's been a a dismantling of the idea of uh, man-woman marriage uh, because... Uh, no longer is there that mechanism in place that actually guarantees the equality between a man and a woman. And so issues of women's sport and uh, all sorts of, uh, as we've been talking, health issues, uh, women seem to be on the receiving end of the worst uh, part of what will happen if these things continue to develop. Uh, Absolutely, because uh, women are generally responsible for children. It's women who become pregnant and need uh, additional support, and it's somehow uh, become accepted that the the man who uh, was responsible for her pregnancy uh, doesn't have any obligation to support her. You know, the idea that um, the the government should support her has become... Uh, enshrined in uh, our sort of uh, political ideology, and this is all wrong. Uh, it's important for uh, uh, the unborn baby and, and ch- children that uh, its father should also be involved in its life. Uh, and uh, whilst uh, the state does try to get some sort of maintenance from uh, the from irresponsible fathers, it doesn't do enough in this area. Um, um, fathers who do not uh, support their uh, children uh, should be penalized, you know, and one very effective way of penalizing them would be to deprive them of their driving licenses until they provide adequate support for their for their children. Uh, both parents are responsible for their children, and it shouldn't just be left to women to collect 
pensions from the state government. Uh, the, the father of these children, if he is not supporting them, should be required uh, to support them, and there should be severe penalties for him not doing so. Babette, what ought everyone be doing? Uh, but, uh, you know, sometimes we might talk about women because uh, no doubt even listeners to this program will uh, often be in the way that they would uh, call themselves feminist, uh, be uh, be influenced by the sort of more left-wing feminism uh, rather than the sort of feminism that you uh, promote, a more traditional form of feminism. Uh, what are your thoughts for the way women particularly might need to to adjust their thinking and even along the lines of you know what they learn in their local church uh, what the theology has to teach us about these things what are your thoughts for the christian influence on on the way women think about women's rights i think the christian churches should emphasize the emphasize the true feminism for a woman uh, it, uh, it should involve that there should be no separation from the rights of women and the rights of children. And the idea that somehow the rights of women involves the right to abortion, to kill her unborn child, uh, we have to get rid of that pernicious ideology because um, the true rights of women should involve her right to support uh, for uh, giving birth to her uh, unborn child and support thereafter for the child uh, from the father, if possible, and if not otherwise, from um, the state government and welfare. A woman should never be um, expected to uh, dispose of her unborn child through abortion um, because of lack of support. And this is an infringement on the rights of women uh, when uh, the state uh, provides the facilities for her to abort her child, but not sufficient support for her to maintain her child if the father cannot be um, persuaded to support his um, his offspring. A dreadful imbalance there, isn't there? And I guess for New South Wales listeners, so there's a New South Wales election coming up and uh, this would be a time when uh, people in New South Wales could be approaching their state MPs uh, for some guarantees along those sorts of lines. Uh, not so much a federal issue, but certainly for New South Wales listeners. I haven't caught up with the New South Wales legislation. Is that is that a recently? Is that recently? Oh no! Well, I'm just saying that there's an election coming up in New South Wales, and uh, and a time to talk about, uh, you know, whether there is a balance between what's being provided for women to have abortions and uh, and what's being provided for women to have support. Well, uh, I hope that the uh, pro-life uh, uh, MPs and uh, our candidates who are standing for election will emphasise the rights of women, uh, uh, pregnant women, to have sufficient support either from the father of their child or from the state government and that it should never be necessary for a woman to abort her child for uh, financial reasons. That is a complete blot on uh, uh, a welfare state in a wealthy country like Australia. We can afford to uh, support all our unborn children. There should never be a financial necessity for a woman to a woman to have an abortion. That is a blot on a wealthy country like Australia. Uh, our um, our most precious resource, uh, not our, uh, our trees or our, uh, the whales circulating in our oceans, but our unborn children. They are our future, and they should be the top priority for all our government, state, and federal. 
And uh, just before we uh, before we start to close our conversation, Babette, we talked about uh, the way that churches are responding and uh, the idea that perhaps most churches don't mention persecuted Christians around the world. And in the context of what we're talking about today, women, uh, there is a certain sense, isn't there, that perhaps this is an area where Christian women can begin to uh, not agitate but to look to raise the profile of the challenges that women face in persecuted situations around the world and what are things that are developing here in Australia. Yes, I would certainly encourage all Christian women's groups, the uh, Catholic Women's League, for example, and the equivalent in all the, um, the Protestant and Evangelical churches to uh, lobby that the plight of um, persecuted Christians around the world should be mentioned at every church service, Catholic and Protestant and Evangelical, on Sunday, because this is a most pressing issue of human rights. I can't think of... Um, a uh, human right that takes more uh, precedence at the moment because the persecution of Christians is um, uh, is becoming horrendous around the world in in Muslim countries in in China in North Korea uh, and uh, no one is really paying sufficient attention to it. One um, note of optimism and good news that I'll give you. Neil, is that the uh, Christian women on behalf of um, who Endeavour Forum and I have been lobbying incessantly, Aisha Bibi, is now safe. She has been acquitted of blasphemy by the Pakistan Supreme Court, but even so, the uh, Muslim mobs were baying for her to be uh, to be hung or executed, but uh, she is now safe, um, and uh, that's uh, one of the uh, small achievements of Endeavour Forum that we lobbied incessantly on her behalf, that the me charges against her were spurious and that she should be freed. Well, she has now been acquitted and, and she is safe and safe from the howling mobs in Pakistan who were screaming for her execution. That's one of our small victories. I know that is a victory. It is a bright light. And, uh, of course, the other side of that is that if she is ever discovered, uh, then she'll be in all sorts of trouble with mobs who want to lynch her. Uh, those sorts of things, I mean, she'll never escape the idea that she needs to remain in isolation and uh, needs to remain hidden uh, because of uh, the the furor around her. Uh, we are going to just uh, close on just coming back to the special celebration that you've got this coming weekend, Babette, 40th anniversary. I'm sure it feels like just yesterday when you were a part of the formation of Endeavour Forum in Australia, but a, a 40th anniversary, you're going to be celebrating 2.30 at the O'Hanlon Centre in Mentone in Victoria. Uh, you've got a bunch of guest speakers, the Reverend Bishop Peter Elliott, you've got Kevin Andrews, the Senior Liberal uh, MP uh, from Victoria, and Damien Wilde, who's Director of the Australian Family Coalition. Uh, you're also going to be presenting the Phyllis Schlafly Eagle Forum Awards, and, and those are important because just uh, just to finish on uh, on this uh, focus. That's recognising people who are uh, in the battle, uh, in the uh, the challenges that are going on to uh, to win some uh, some uh, Christian rights in the things that are uh, happening in our nation. It's important, isn't it, to have these sorts of awards? Um. 
Yes, well, uh, I think, uh, you know, I think we're living in a dark age at the moment, Neil. Not all the battles we fought, we haven't won most of the battles we and other Christians have fought. But one small victory that we have fought is that we've managed to save Isia Bibi. And they say that, uh, I think it's in the Talmud, that if you save one life, you've saved the world. Well, I don't know that I've saved the world, but I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been great getting your insights once again today, Babette. And I'll point people to your website, endeavorforum.org.au. And I'm sure if there are those who want to be a part of your 40th celebration this coming weekend, uh, there's still some places there. 2.30pm at the O'Hanlon Centre in Mentone in Victoria, endeavorforum.org.au. Uh, Babette Francis, uh, one of the co-founders of Endeavour Forum. Babette, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts with us today on 2020. Thank you very much for having me on your program and do pray for us. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.